I want to, we're going to be talking about the church. And the greatest obstacle that many people have towards faith, if it's not God himself, which actually it turns out I think is a small number of people, it's actually, it's actually their resistance or a person's resistance, maybe even your resistance, comes from your experience with the church. And having been on the giving and receiving end of church hurt, uh, right, I want, to, I, want to, I want to speak today uh, about what it looks like when a church is healthy and some of the things that we want to exemplify through us as a congregation and through us as individuals. When we talk about the church, uh, you, you probably think of something right away. Oftentimes, it's a building. Uh, it's the location where you meet or the 501c3 organization. But when the Bible speaks of the church, it's actually speaking of something much more significant than that. It's speaking of the people who make up the body of Christ. There's the church in the universal sense. That's everybody who ever has and ever will put their faith in Christ Jesus. And then, uh, you know, it's the true descendants of, of Abraham all the way up to those who call on the name of Jesus as, as so the children of Israel and now the, the believers in Jesus Christ joined together and grafted into the body of Jesus. That's, that's the universal church. And then there's the local church. And today we're going to be focusing on the local church. But even the local church is not about the building. It's about the us. It's about the you and the me together. So, um, so as you hear this, and as we talk about a church, don't resist the temptation to think about brick and mortar. Brick and mortar is wonderful. So far as it works to extend the work of the kingdom and becomes a very valuable tool to reach the community. I look forward to us having a building that we can use to minister to the community and to bring the community in through various and creative outreaches. I look forward to having places that the community wants to come on purpose, even if they don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. That's what I look forward to for us. Grace Covenant and Sterling. That's what, I, that's what I'm, I'm starting to get stirred about. And, and so there is a place for the brick and mortar. But today and in this passage, we're thinking about the people. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. There are two reasons before we get to that passage that, or at least two reasons, that, that church hurt is, is so prevalent. Uh, Number one is that the devil is real and he hates the church. He despises the church because Christ loves the church. He hates the church because it looks like what God intended for life to be like when he created man. He created Adam and Eve and said, hey, take dominion, take my name, take my image, take my my purpose, take my desire, take it all over the earth. Subdue it so that I can have my glory known across the whole face of the world. And then sin enters and everything went to heck. And then we come back and now this church is moving out, looking a whole lot like Jesus. And the devil's like, I can't let this happen. So let me leverage offenses. Let me leverage that, that, that scowl you've got on your face because really you, your, your ankle hurts and you're just like this and then you give that person that look and they're like, why are they looking at me like that? I don't even like this place. This pay, I hate these people. Why didn't they talk to me longer? Right. Nobody's ever been there. 
That's good. So this is going to be the healthiest, easiest sermon ever. But a lot of people bring to them, kind of like, well, pastor didn't talk to me. He didn't, eh. And, you know, not me. I'm not important enough for people to feel that way. But it's like, have you ever heard of people being, like, frustrated? Have you ever been frustrated because somebody didn't give you the time or the attention that you felt like you should have had? Or maybe you were struggling with something and you didn't get the help that you thought you deserved. Or maybe somebody said something or did something. Maybe somebody cut you off in the parking lot on the way in and you're still stewing over it because they took your spot. Right? Or somebody sitting in your place, they came in early, and you're like, that's my spot. I sit there. <laughs> Church is ruined. <laughs> or maybe we sing a song. <laughs> maybe, you sing a, maybe we sing a song that you don't like, or we spend too much time on the chorus. You're like, geez, can we just kind of move on? And, you know, like church messed up. And the devil wants to leverage all these little minor inconveniences and turn them into a major thing where it's supposed to be a nothing. Because he hates the church. The other thing is that the church is filled with people like us. <laughs> if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have chosen me to represent me. Or you. <laughs> right? It takes a certain amount of honesty to admit that one of the, the, the biggest problems with the church is us. And I don't know why we're surprised by that. I don't know why we're offended by that. Because we know us. Sometimes we, we have a higher thought of ourselves than we, than we ought to have. We're like, well, I'm pretty awesome. Everybody else is just jacked up. You get married and you learn real quick how right you are about everything and how wrong everybody else is about everything. I don't know why we don't expect more. There's no room for vindictiveness. There's no room for gossip and vengeance. There's no room for backstabbing. There's no room for any of that garbage in the church. But the, the church is a collection of people who have pretty much said, hey, I'm jacked up. <laughs> I am a messed up person and I need Jesus. And so we shouldn't be surprised if, if, we, if we have a little grating moment with someone else. And then we can, we can show the devil up by allowing the love of God to overcome that moment and going and reconciling with that person. Make sense? The enemy would love to leverage uh, race against, against us. But what I'm thankful about in, in this congregation and in also in Chantilly, what I'm thankful about, what God is doing here, is that the race card is being overcome by the grace card. And the race card is being overcome and we're able to extend grace to one another when we don't understand one another or when our preference is different than one another and we're able to labor and endure with one another and help one another grow and learn and understand. I'm happy about that. But the devil, he hates it. And the world doesn't understand it. But this is the place where God chooses to do his work. And he does it through us and by his Holy Spirit. Say so he does it by his Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit, and with us. And I'm so thankful for it. So let's go ahead and look at this verse. It's uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Just one verse today. It says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Side note here, the New American Standard says they enjoyed peace. Had peace and was being built up. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is God's word to us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Inspire us, encourage us with the little time we have this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Acts chronicles the acts of God and the acts of the early church. Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit and, and into these disciples. They received the power of God and they took off proclaiming the good news that they did, people didn't any longer have to, to prove themselves to be good enough, but they would be able to receive the grace of God to receive eternal life. And in, in throughout, throughout Acts, it's kind of a narrative book, and it tells you all these accounts, and it's telling you what's happened. Every once in a while, it zooms out, and it gives you perspective or context for what's happening. So it's kind of like the play-by-play commentary. You're getting the play-by-play, and then somebody zooms out, and they're like, now let me give you some perspective for this. This team is five and four, and they they really need this victory if they're going to win. This is the situation. And then you jump back into the play-by-play. That's what's happening right here in, in verse 31. It zooms out from the busyness. Actually, 9 is all about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who was uh, the primary persecutor of the church, murdering Christians, seeking them, uh, stoning them, ruining their lives, uh, tearing down the, 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 the Christian church one person at a time. And he gets converted. And then we get to Acts 9.31. Or, yeah, Acts 9:31, and it zooms back and it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And then it continues. I want to say, so today my goal is just to move through this passage and to make five observations about this text. Just to pull out five things that we see as the text advances. The first thing is that the churches were divinely placed. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come and he was going to empower him. He says this. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And they received the Holy Spirit. What they didn't know at the time is that their scattering wasn't going to be their great idea. Their scattering was going to come at the, at the, as a result of persecution. So they were going to receive the Holy Spirit and they were going to take this message all over the globe. Sounds pretty great. And then people come trying to bust up your church meeting and put you in jail and murder you. And that scattered the church and they ended up in these places that God said that they were going to be in. Sometimes God uses unusual ways to move us where we want, where we're supposed to be. But we're expecting him to move this way and then he moves through persecution or difficulty and our mind explodes and we think that God's left us but he's never been closer to us. What the enemy meant for evil in scattering the church resulted in the planting of new churches. It's kind of like trying to destroy a dandelion by blowing on it. Well, good job. You just planted a thousand dandelions in your yard. And in your neighbors, and in your neighbor's neighbors, our whole neighborhood is going to be overcome with dandelions. Thank you, Satan. (laughs) Right? So the enemy comes against, and he persecutes the church. It scatters, and then it lands, and then they sink their roots deep down into the Holy Spirit, and they grow stronger. And they had peace. Now, the peace didn't come just because Saul was knocked off his high horse. 
The persecution, the persecution continued. We learn right before this passage that the Hellenistic Jews pursued Saul so violently. Hellenistic Jews were Jews who spoke Greek. And they pursued Saul so violently, so viciously, that this guy who was the chief persecutor of the church was now on the run. So it's not like Paul got right with Jesus and then everything stops. Paul got right with Jesus and everything continued, but they had peace. Even though the persecution continued. God wants to give you peace in the midst of the persecution or the difficulty that you're facing. What's interesting about the prayers in, in, in the New Testament is you see the apostles praying for the church. Uh, I can't think off the top of my head of any prayer where he said, God, stop the pain. They only cried out and said, God, give us grace to endure. God, give us more of yourself so that we can reflect your glory in the midst of this difficulty and pain. You know, pain comes and all we want to do is get out of it. But Christ's intent for pain is that we would be transformed through it. I know that's not really like, you don't get a lot of amens for that because it's like, hey, good news and bad news. The bad news, nothing might change. The great news, Jesus will sustain you and give you grace through it. The church was built up. I love this idea of being built up. The Bible uses many illustrations uh, of what a church is. It's the bride of Christ. It's the people of God. It's the building of God. That the, the people are built on a foundation of the gospel. And so he uses people as the building supplies for this building, not brick and mortar. And so I I just love this idea of being built up because that's what we are to do with one another. Our our kids' ministry is called Kid Builders. And I, I, I take it both ways. We're building kids, and we're building a strong foundation in our kids, and we're building them up and establishing things in their lives and teaching them how to walk with Jesus, even in even in elementary school. Here let me Megan helped me. A while ago, I was so worn out with our kids, you know, over some stuff. And I'm like, just have a happy heart. And she goes, you know, if it takes time in the word for you to be patient and to be obedient to God and to have a happy heart, with all the years of, with all the years you've had to build up self-discipline and self-control, if you need the word to do it, do you think our daughter needs the word to do it? She's people too. I do have a good wife. I got a great wife. I feel like I cheated. Actually, we just found out recently she has bad vision. So she just got glasses. That's what I attribute it to. We tricked her before she got her glasses. (laughs) But our kids need it too. So we're kid builders. So we're building our kids. But our kids are also builders. And our kids are building well from the beginning. It doesn't mean that they won't stray, but it does mean that they've got a foundation that they'll never be able to forget. We've all got that experience that we look back at. One way or another, you had a touch of grace by someone or something in your past. 
Somebody prayed for you. There was a believer down the block. There was this vacation Bible school or something else. Not everybody's always going to have that. I can't say that to, a, to, a, to an audience who's 18 necessarily because our, our culture is moving more and more towards a secular experience. But for, for us in the room, in this room today, we, we can think back and go, oh yeah, there was that crazy kid who, who didn't do that in high school, didn't go to the parties and they had a Bible club and you know, they just had their holy huddle and you know, they, they, their pants didn't meet their shoes. You know, and, and yeah, we remember them. That, I shouldn't have said that. I was doing really well. <laughs> Stick to the notes. But they were built up through the word and through the relationships. They had the word of God available to them to encourage, inspire, correct, rebuke. And they had one another to spur one another on. And what happens is they walked together. They walked together in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they feared the Lord. This is a phrase that was used often in the, New, in the Old Testament. That's all the time before Jesus came. And, and it's a phrase that's used quite often and sparingly in the New Testament, maybe two or three times max. But the concept of the fear of the Lord in the New Testament is consistent. It's a, it's a sober reverence for the goodness and the majesty of God. For the holiness, and the holiness means different or set aside or con- like consecrated. It's, it's set apart. God is completely unlike anything else that we've ever known or experienced. And there should be a holy reverence toward that. Kind of like, I don't understand him fully, but what I do understand is amazing. And knowing what I know is only a small part of the fracture, like a small part of the picture. It, it, it makes me speechless at how much more greatness there is on the other side of my understanding. Kind of tongue-tied there. But the fear of the Lord, can you, they're walking together, each individually in the fear of the Lord, loving and respecting and honoring God. Fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. It produces humility. Authentic love. Christ-like compassion. And mercy. And they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is how I know that the persecution didn't stop because they needed the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But they experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit together. There's a certain measure of of grace that I experience on my own throughout the week because I read my Bible and I pray and I worship sing songs all loud in the house. But when I'm with other people, that measure of grace increases. Exponentially even. That's why I love Sunday morning. That's why I love small group. Because not only do I get to experience the grace of God that he's pouring out to me, I get to experience the grace of God that's being poured out to you. I don't just enjoy the benefit of the Holy Spirit that indwells me. I enjoy the benefit of the Holy Spirit that also indwells you. I receive life from you. And hopefully I'm able to give life also to you. Even in the midst of difficulty or persecution. They walked together in this comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the church multiplied. This is no surprise. It wasn't because they had amazing worship. 
It wasn't because they had an amazing building. It wasn't because it was easy. It wasn't because it was fun. It's because the Spirit of God was being poured out on them and they were being transformed by the love and the power of God. As they continued to walk in the fear of the Lord, receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church was being multiplied. Because they would become distinct. You know, when God starts moving on your heart, you become distinct. Not strange, but a little weird. There are words that you, that you don't use anymore. And there are movies that you don't watch anymore. Not because you're afraid that you're going to get wrecked, but because your desire is for something greater. There's a place where you don't desire the fast food anymore. I used to pound some Taco Bell. And I got saved and now it's Los Teltecos. I was living a lie, JC. Eating those fake cheese. Those fake tortilla chips. And then God's mercy has shined on me. And I found queso, <laughs> the white queso, and jalapenos. <laughs> but there comes a time where you're not satisfied with the, the gross taste that you used to like. You know, you go back and you're like, oh, this isn't as good as I remember. Yeah, because your taste buds were broken then. You go back to the place that you were and you're like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. Yeah, that's what it was. You changed. Your taste, buds, your taste buds, they changed. You're not satisfied with that anymore. Amen. You go back to that place, you're like, it's not as big as it used to be. You go back to those people, they're not as cool as they used to be. You remember those parties and they weren't as great as they used to be. Because he changes your taste for something greater. Because he wants more for us than we even want for ourselves. And that's our biggest problem with God. Is that he wants more for us than we want for ourselves. And we get mad when he, when he gives us what he knows we need instead of what we think we want. Of course the church grew. When the church is at its best, it's irresistible. It's beautiful. It's stunning. The worst you could say about a church at its best is that they're a little peculiar. They give up their Sundays. I mean, we even move the service forward to make it easier to give up a Sunday. We're like, okay, give up less of your Sunday. Come. But it's peculiar, but there's a grace and a mercy and a joy and a love that the people would have for one another as the grace of God and the comfort of God is being poured out. And the church was multiplied not by a growth strategy, but just because of the outpouring of the Spirit of God on this people. The worst that could be said is that they're faithful to what they believe, a benefit to the community, and a people with full of joy and hope and peace. We get distracted by silly things that aren't what the church is really about. The church isn't about donuts, but we can make it about them. We can make it about convenience and signage and parking and seats and Facebook streams. We can make it about all these other things, but really the church is about the glory of Jesus being made evident through you and me together. 
as we walk together, as we share the love of Jesus with one another and with those who were around, God will pour out his spirit on us. And we'll see that we multiply almost on accident. The church is the carrier of the greatest message of all eternity. And it is a privilege to be a part of her. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to be your church, to love one another, to surrender ourselves and our preferences, our ways to you, to your preferences, to your plan and to your ways. God, I thank you for your grace, which is constantly poured out. I pray for anybody who's experiencing hardship in this time that you would pour out your grace and you would join them to your body so that they can experience the fullness of hope and peace and encouragement and inspiration that you desire for them. We thank you for your divine placement. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in us as individuals and as a church. If there's anybody in here this morning and you just feel God pressing on your heart, calling you to follow him, either from the baptism moment or maybe it was worship or during the sermon you realize man I didn't realize that's what's available to me and I want it can you raise your hand I want to I want to pray with you I see that hand bless God I see that hand Family, it's not by the raising of our hands that we receive grace and mercy of God. It's through a proclamation and a demonstration of faith. So if you raised your hand this morning or if you were a little bit afraid to, just pray with me anyway. Father, in the name of Jesus, I hear you calling my name. This morning I surrender. I turn from everything I know to be sin. I welcome and I receive your forgiveness. Give me the courage and teach me to follow you all the days of my life. And join me to those who can help me grow up in this most holy faith. Amen. I just, I want to pray for people who are hurting this morning. I don't even know why. I just feel pressed on my spirit that uh, some of y'all came in this morning just just wounded. And uh, not in a miserable or bad way. You're functioning. But there's this kind of subtle sadness that is just kind of chasing you down and you can't shake it. I want to, if that's you this morning, and, and you'll, just, you'll just know it's you. But I want to let you know that it's, it's not depression. This. This is not going to wreck your life. This is not the end of the life. This is not the end of the line. This isn't what it's going to be like forever. But God wants to meet you and to set you free and to let you experience joy and hope in Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, for those who fit that category this morning, I ask that you would meet them right now by your Holy Spirit. 
God, I thank you it's not by many words that you hear their prayer. It's not by the excellent of their excellence of word choice that you greet us. But it's simply that we ask you to come. If that's you this morning, just say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit's doing some heart surgery. If you're getting a list of things that, that uh, of like ways that you were wronged, it's time to, to get rid of that list. It's a distraction. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for pouring out your grace on us this morning. We receive your word. We receive you. In Jesus' name, amen.